When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aussies only, thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Time for another edition of Aussies Only. Darren Parkin in taking over host commitments from Jed Zetzer in recent times. And this one's quite timely, quite topical. Nicole Pratt's been doing some terrific stuff, A, in the commentary space, in the coaching space, and obviously through Tennis Australia in terms of the lead coaching pathways, working a lot with the women's game as well. She was Australia's number one ranked player uh, during the latter stages of her career, peaking at 35 in the world, won a WTA title along the way. Uh, and has experienced plenty in the sport of tennis. Nicole, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Darren. You've actually uh, made me feel pretty good right now. <laughs> uh, well, you, <laughs> or, you, you... or old. Or old. <laughs> well, you, you should, certainly. And, and I guess you're not in terms of old, but certainly good. Uh, and in terms of feeling proud, obviously, you've only just landed back from the Billie Jean King Cup. Uh, Australia have obviously had some setbacks in terms of personnel in the, the last 12 months. If someone had a set at the start of the year, that you'd reached the final, uh, obviously, with no Ash Barty and, and with Dasha Saville out with a, a knee Rico in the latter stages of the year, I think you'd be pretty chuffed with it, obviously running into a, a red-hot Belinda Bencic and co in that Switzerland team. But what did you make of the uh, of the run through to the final? Oh, it was just a, an incredible uh, 10 days from the build-up to then obviously starting to play uh, the matches. And, you know, our, our team was so impressive. Uh, you know, in particular, Storm Sanders. I, I think she was sort of the. Uh, I think all the players agreed she was the uh, MVP, as you would say. Uh, yeah, so she certainly uh, performed well and above her ranking, and you know had some great wins under extreme pressure. And then Isla, who I believe's had a fantastic year, she was able to sort of get through her first couple of matches uh, to put us in a good position. And yeah, having. Um, yeah, that semi-final match going down to the wire in the doubles. The fact that we could call on, you know, such a veteran and champion of the game in Sam Stosa to play with Storm, and then win in that super tiebreaker to get us through uh, was was just a fantastic result. And as you mentioned, uh, I uh, I'd be lying if I said that I thought we would get through the final, mm-hmm. um, given given the sort of the team that you know, ranking-wise uh, that we had, I, I initially thought, you know what, pretty much like last year, if we got to the semifinals, I thought that would be a, a, an amazing result, a really good result. So the fact that we went one more um, from last year was, yeah, was was outstanding for everyone involved. Just on Storm, you, you mentioned her and obviously starting to develop that reputation on the big stage, obviously, with slam, deep slam runs. Even the Olympics back in Tokyo where she partnered with Ash, she... I think Ash would even admit that that Storm probably outplayed her in that doubles combination in that particular Olympic Games. And then obviously here when the pressure was on, it's it's a pretty good reputation to be developing that, um, you know, when the stakes are at their highest, you're getting it done. Yeah, I think, um, 
Yeah, that that's a point of difference with players that I've seen over time is is their ability with high stakes, high pressure, big stage. Uh, you see some players that thrive in those environments, and and Storms, you know, certainly proven now that she thrives. Uh, and then you know, with with the opposite also happens. You know, I think it's a little bit you know, if if players were actors, you would say they get stage fright, right, uh, and can't <laughs> quite perform at that at that same level. So. Yeah, I mean, Storm, I think the confidence that she's gained from playing, you know, um, you know the slams and in particular going deep and, and winning, uh, well, she can now say after this year that she's a, a Grand Slam champion. Uh, she won the mixed doubles with John Pierce, and I think that gave her a lot of confidence and, you know, just a really great place in life. Uh, and, you know, maturity-wise, she's, you know, 28 years of age and she's getting married actually on the weekend. So, you know, a lot of lot of her, her life outside of tennis has, has come together and, and it's in a really great place and, and you start to see kind of those results being reflected on the court. And I think if and, – and for me, Storm, I mean, I've, I've coached Storm since she was, you know, on and off since she was 17 years of age and and it really for me it was never a question of her tennis ability it was just whether or not her body could could hold up so she's had you know so many injuries over the years and and it speaks to her belief her resilience uh her perseverance to to keep going after her, her dreams and uh yeah it's just so rewarding and I'm really so proud and pleased for her that you know, she is achieving uh, those some of those dreams and, and there's more she certainly wants to achieve moving forward. Just, a, I guess, a little tangent on the women's game overall. We've seen it to a certain degree in the, uh, in the men's game and it's the influence of doubles on singles players. I wrote an article about that if you look at the, the better players on the women's side of the draw where you had Barbara Krejcikova, who won the French Open, who had a doubles background, Garcia, who's just won the finals, uh, been an outstanding doubles player, mm-hmm. Sabalenka's won doubles titles, Barty obviously cut her teeth in, in doubles early days. I mean, the list goes on. Even a lot of people forget that Igor Fiontek made a doubles final at slam level in the last couple of years. I think on the men's side, Nick Kyrgios has probably, you know, almost highlighted the, the run at the Australian Open this year is really helping him take another step as a singles player. It's uh, Are we kind of seeing Goff, another one, Pagula, uh, the, the, the sort of the list goes on. Um, I guess the influence in your mind of, of, of quality doubles play, even yourself, you had a fair bit of success at doubles level in your career. Yeah, I, I just think the experiences, whether it's singles or doubles, the big stage slams, and going, you know, going deep match after match after match, uh, that consistency and exposure. And, and it's not just playing the matches. It, it's it's the practices uh, that you're able to get when you're at those type of events, the big events. And, and again, Storm, for example, she, she's had that sort of week in, week out. And then you start to really develop that sense of belonging and that belief system that, you know, you are as good as the players that you're practicing with. And it's just a matter of getting the opportunity to get out there. But, you know, you've mentioned a lot of names there where double success came before their singles success. And, you know, if hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be talking like that about uh, Storm Sanders in the next, um, you know, two to five years. 
Uh, the Billie Jean King uh, Cup, obviously, the, the the name change significant and the pride that's associated with it. Obviously, on the men's side, the, the Davis Cup went through a fairly significant change, which wasn't met with enormous popularity from everybody and, and legends, even guys like Lake Hewitt. But this, where do you sit in terms of the, the, the Billie Jean King Cup and where it's, by comparison, to say what might have been a slightly diminished appreciation for the Davis Cup? Yeah, I, I probably, I mean, I'll speak to BJK Cup. I won't speak to sort of mm. Davis Cup. But, um, it, yeah, I, I'm probably 50-50, to be honest. And the reason I say 50-50 is I can 100% see the benefit in the home ties and, you know, the fact that you can grow the game in whichever particular country that you're playing in. It's great for the players when, you know, you do have that home support versus, you know, the last of two finals that we've been to certainly hasn't been at home and we've played against countries where it's not their home either and so it can be a little disappointing sometimes like the lack of crowds because the players you know they they love that that's you know it's a team competition and it's it's a chance for um you know your home home country to really get behind you so you know there's sort of a little bit of a negative there in in that aspect in terms of when you come to the finals it's the best 12 teams and there's only one home um, country playing and you know and probably the other 50 percent I feel like it's a good thing as in it's a very very long year for the players there's a lot of tournaments that they sign up to and commit to and you know they can really get this team competition played within one week Uh, so I, I definitely think the players sort of enjoy that aspect and you know what we've seen the benefit where it's been really positive as well is that yeah there's more prize money than ever uh there has been in in any type of bjk cup or the the previous naming of fed cup so that's been really positive the fact that they've been able to sort of get these really great sponsors on board uh to to support the bjk cup now, obviously, we touched a little bit on the present. There'll be a little bit more on that. But but going back to where it started for, for you, as I, I understand it, growing up in farming country in Queensland, I think you were one of five kids. Your dad could, could play tennis quite a bit. So could you sort of take us through your where it started for you and, and I guess how you came to realise you were good enough to take it another another step? Yeah, no, I grew up uh, – I'm a country bumpkin. I grew up an hour <laughs> outside of Mackay on, on a sugar, as you said, sugarcane farm. So, yeah, my family played. My dad bulldozed a court beside the house and, and you know, built a, built a uh, wooden hitting wall. And I learnt much of my tennis from a young age just hitting up against the wall. So I certainly um, value that in anyone's development. Uh, moving forward so and I played a lot of uh, competition up and down the Queensland coast and certainly was sort of rewarded with some I did pretty well and uh, that certainly motivated me to continue as it enabled me to travel and I, I love I love to travel I loved it and that's probably been the case ever since so I went from I guess yeah the regional events then the state events got into nationals played 12 and under nationals like most juniors uh in australia that went on to have a professional career and then fortunate enough to get a ais scholarship uh under the tutelage of ray ruffles at 15 years of age and i spent four years there won the australian open juniors in 1991 so yes definitely showing my age again (laughs) uh and yeah and then you know traveled next three four years 
uh, pretty much out of a suitcase, didn't have any idea what I was doing, uh, made lots of mistakes, but I'm glad I made lots of mistakes because I could tell people later on not what to do, um, not to do what I did and, and maybe they'll think about doing something a different way. Uh, yeah, and then I landed up in the States and, and in America and, and in particular Orlando, Florida, I, I created as my base and, yeah, that's where I ended up um, sort of reaching my career highs and, uh, you know, certainly achieving a lot of things that I dreamt about. I, I always had aspirations to play uh, Fed Cup for Australia and definitely the Olympic Games. So fortunate enough to make the team in Sydney and Athens, so 2000, 2004. So that was a that was really a, a massive highlight for me. Uh, and, yeah, I probably in the end what I was most proud of is I, there probably wasn't a player that, um, I played against where I didn't walk out on the court and really believe that I had a chance to win. And, you know, that obviously takes a, a lot of work and a lot of belief to to get to that point. So um, that was that was really rewarding and retired at 34 years of age. So I'd had a good innings and, and no regret, regrets for, for me. You spoke a little bit about that, you know, making mistakes and, and learning from it. They say a lot of athletes will generally peak in that 25 to 30, 31 sort of range. And you had six years in a row where you finished the year inside the top 60, obviously had your ranking peak in that run, your best slam run in singles in the, the Oz Open in 03, I think it was. What was it, I guess, that was it a case of sort of building that experience, the physical resilience in the body that allowed you to be, you know, consistently around the, the top flight for that period of time? Yeah, for sure. Just uh, I think the journey, the maturity, I was probably a little bit of a later developer than most uh to be honest like I, I didn't crack the top 100 I think until yeah 23 24 I think if I remember correctly I think combination I, I definitely made sure that I was probably one of the fittest players on tour like I, I kind of really tried to create a work ethic where yeah no one no one was going to outwork me and I was again fortunate enough to be in a training environment where I, I could do that. I could do that. So had a pretty strong foundation there and just, you know, made sure that, you know, I, I kept trying to improve in any any way that I could and try in a way to stay ahead of the game because I'll always say, like, I wasn't a great tennis player. I really wasn't um, in terms of how I, you know, I had technical flaws. Um, however, I, I tried to make it up in, in other areas and in particular, I think tennis smarts, tennis IQ, I'd always try and sort of uh, figure out my opponent's weaknesses, try and exploit them, what would work well that I had that um, would cause them problems. And then also just never go away, never go away, no matter what the score, um, you know, play play every point like it was my last point. So I kind of um, stuck to that and, you know, became a very tough opponent for for players, they, they kind of, a few different players, after I retire, they don't tell you these things till you retire, right? And they'd sort of say, you know, geez, Nicole, you're just so annoying to play. Like, it was really <laughs> tough because I knew that, you know, you were going to bring it each and every day. So, um, yeah, no, very, very sort of proud of that. And and it did. It happened later on in my career. And, and, and that's probably formed part of, I guess, my coaching philosophy is it's never too late. Uh, if if you set goals and there's certain goals that you want to achieve and and there's certain you know changes or fine tuning or however you want to describe it uh, needs to take place you can do it you can do it so 
um, yeah, that, that's very much a big part of what I still believe in today. Were you someone who reflected on the journey during the journey or only afterwards? Because obviously if you look at, say, mid-03, you've, you've come off your best uh, Australian Open run, fourth round, you'd reached your career peak in ranking, but also in the process became Australia's number one ranked female player. Is that a time where you sit back and go, you know, I was hitting balls against the the wall on the farm. I was 15 years of age and travelling the world and things like that. And now here I am as the number one ranked female player in the country. Yeah, probably, again, this forms part of what I believe in now, um, very much so, is I probably didn't take enough time to celebrate uh, the achievements and and that's generally the case with most most professional athletes in general not just tennis but you're always looking for what's next like how do I get better or um, what is it I'm going to aim for now and versus taking a step back and going hey that was pretty awesome um, what I what I've achieved in in that period of time so yeah uh, I highly encourage athletes that I work with now moving forward or even coaches for that matter. It's like celebrate the moments because you're not sure when the next one's coming. So, um, yeah, and speaking about celebrating and, and enjoying the moment, I think that, you know, that I think as a team at BJK Cup, I think everybody does celebrate the opportunity that we have to be there in the finals, playing the best countries in the world uh, up against, you know, the best players in the world and and loving every minute of it. So I think that's a really important important point. Speaking with Nicole Pratt, um, obviously the, the WTA title in 04 beat Maria Kirilenko, had a very good career um, in that final. Um, obviously, you had a lot of success through, you know, semi-final runs in the doubles at the at US Open, um, ITF titles and things like that. But to get that piece of silverware, I think you would have just gone north of 30 years of age. Um, I guess another important box to tick to, to obviously have that against a player that's, you know, played quarterfinals at Grand Slams. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, it was kind of unexpected. It was kind of a once-off. I was in Melbourne and I flew to Hyderabad, India, just for the one week. Uh, and I beat uh, who else? Did I beat oh uh, Bartoli. I beat mm. Bartoli in the semi-finals, which was yeah, which was a good win. And um, and Kirilenko there. So yeah, I mean, it was a feather in the cap. I certainly had won a title and uh, a lot of years playing out on tour and never having won one, you kind of think, well, am I actually ever going to win one? Uh, so, yeah, no, it was uh, unexpected, certainly great. Um, I held, uh, I think, the record for a period of time. Jill Krabus, uh took it away from me a few years back, but I was the oldest first-time winner <laughs> of, a, of a WTA title. So, um, yeah, so I held that for a number of years until Jill Krabus won one. I think she was a year older than me when she won the first one. <laughs> nice to obviously would have held that for, for quite a period of time as well. What's the win you're most proud of over the journey? Is there one in particular, be it singles or doubles? Is it that title? Is there one that stands out most? Yeah, there's probably a couple like looking back where, you know, just to, in terms of occasion, I, I think, you know, I love to play in a, in Australia. Um, like most Australians, the Australian Open and and probably the opening, it was the opening night match on Rod Laver Arena against Megan Shaughnessy, who was um, seated mm. at the time. And it was a three-step match. I ended up 
yeah, it was it was awesome. The stadium was full because um, not because of me, but Andre Agassi was coming on next, <laughs> uh, and, I, and and Andre was a certainly a yeah. I idolised Andre and and utmost respect. So the fact that he was, I was probably more nervous because he I knew he's probably in the locker room watching um, than actually out there playing. So yeah, winning that match in, in front of you know my family always came down to watch me at the Australian Open. So that was a, a big of a big occasion. And that was the you know the start start of the run that uh got me through to the fourth round that year. So that was that was a great win. And uh again, I think the wins that I've had at at uh Fed Cup, the wins uh at the Olympics, uh also again, you know, it's more about playing for your country versus yourself and uh the fact that I could get a few really important wins there. I think were matches that, um, yeah, I'm really proud of. And, and even for that matter, the matches that I lost that I'm proud of, um, you know, I was, yeah, I lost to Serena Williams, her debut, a US Open, then a year later, it was seven, five and third set. And then a year later, she wins the US Open, lost to Emily Moresmo, tight three set match at Wimbledon, Capriati, um, seven, five and third. Still remember it was on court 18 and, it's where the broadcast boxes are and then people can watch up the top and it was full like four or five rows deep. And so, yeah, they're kind of the moments that, that I remember and, and not necessarily because you have to win. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's special when you think back on those moments. Was there a moment when you knew it was time? Uh, we spoke about um, your retirement. So that, we often hear athletes say that, you know, they crave the work and then one day they wake up in the morning and they don't, and that's the signal that it's time. Was there a moment for you? There was one time, I think, yeah, as, as you mentioned before, I'd had a fairly consistent um, career once I got myself inside the top 100 and, and you know, in and around top 50. And there was a moment um, 10 years after I'd been there where I dropped out and that was, I think, in about 2006. And I was questioning, all right, well, you know, how badly do I want it? And I remember my fitness trainer at the time, he had arranged for me to do a session with a SAS guy. <laughs> uh, I met him down at Sandringham Pier at, I think it was about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And he he took me for a session and it was probably the hardest session I've ever done in my entire life and and really tested me physically but equally tested me mentally and you know I, I there were several moments during the session that I could have stopped like I definitely could have stopped and I did I sort of got to the end of it and then I realized you know what no I really want this I still really want this and I'm prepared to do whatever it takes so, you know, that was a moment. And then and then ultimately the retirement was because of injury. I, I had um, bone on bone on my right sort of lateral compartment. And it, and I was at a career high ranking. I was at a career high ranking, singles, doubles. I was still loving every minute of it. Yeah, the body told me that that's, that's enough because it, it would just swell after I played. And, yeah, so like I said, I actually – yeah, I don't even really have any regrets that that happened or think about, all right, how many more years could I have played? It is what it is. And uh, like I said, I, I felt like I'd had a, um, a good run. Have you ever visited your own Wikipedia page? I only asked that question because um, the, the, the profile picture, I don't know who chooses those, but um, it's from your year of retirement. So I thought, you know, there might have been a, you know, yeah. 
a, a key victory or something along the way. But the photo is, um, I think, of your celebrity race appearance at the Australian <laughs> Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm always curious as to of all of the images uh, across your career that uh, that's the one they settled on. I don't know if you've ever raised eyebrows thinking, oh, hang on a second, I've, there's some action yeah. shots of running forehands or something. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I did, I did see it one time. I was like, I, can you go and change that because that just shouldn't <laughs> be there. Um, although it was, a, it was a, um, I think a life highlight in the sense of that week doing the Celebrity Grand Prix was just awesome. I happened to get the year where it was all, um, you know, Australian sporting um, stars, let's say. From, from other sports. So, um, yeah, no, I do need to go and change that. It's not good. <laughs> I think you can. And then if they're, if they're happy with the change, they sort of let it go. But I'm sure there'd be a few. Uh, the transition into to coaching, and, and one thing that always comes up when we speak to players in terms of you is relationships. They speak so highly of the relationships you've built with them and the respect that they have for you. Can you sort of take us through the transition into coaching and how important that personal relationship aspect of it is? Yeah, well, my transition happened uh, sooner rather than later, as in my plan was after I retired, I was going to take 12 months off and really not do anything. Anyway, the, the WTA Tour had asked me to come out. It was when we were going to roll out the the new roadmap in 2008 and I'd been on the, on the Players' Council and I sort of said, oh, what does that entail? And they said, oh, well, you know, you'll come to Miami, you'll do Charleston, Berlin, Rome. Uh, so I thought, hmm, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good gig. So sign me up. So I was in um, Miami at the time and, and Casey Delacqua was there with a fitness trainer and a uh, fitness trainer approached me and said, listen, Nicole, like, I just think, you know, Casey needs a coach. I'm traveling with her. I'm a fitness trainer. What do you think? And I sort of, and I said, oh, well, it's more about what Casey thinks than what we think. So, yeah, so we, I did a little bit of a trial with with Casey and, yeah, one thing led to another and then all of a sudden I was I was coaching. Uh, so Casey just early on during that time uh, made the third round of French Open singles and uh, made the final of the doubles with Schiavone and made semifinals of the doubles with Natalie Dashi. So I was kind of thinking, oh, this coaching gig's pretty easy because <laughs> Casey's doing so well. Uh, but, yeah, no, I was fortunate enough. I knew I'd played with Casey. She was a, a, a Fed Cup member, like playing fellow player. And so, yeah, coaching at that level too was almost like I'd had so much experience being in those environments that it was more about player management than actual coaching Um at that stage. So yeah, and and I guess from that moment on I've I've coached ever since and coached for a number of years uh with pro players out on tour so there was Casey and Alicia Mollick, Anastasia Rodinova, Jess Moore. Hopefully I'm not missing anyone <laughs> there. And then I sort of became the AIS women's head coach uh back in Melbourne in 2000 and I think it was 2013 or so. 2011, 2013, can't remember, too long ago. <laughs> a few more before we let you go. You spoke about the coaching pathways now and, and the junior talent we've seen in the last couple of years, Gibson and, and Preston and even Charlotte, Kempinair's Box and a few of those sorts of players as well. Um, how are you seeing the the overall pathways coming through? I mean, we've seen Sharma in recent years win a WTA title, still quite young. You spoke about Storm, who's got a long journey ahead of her as well. Uh, Madison English had a great run at the Australian Open this 
year. Uh, our depth looks pretty good. Yeah, speaking about the juniors, I, I think it's exciting that we have, you know, a few players, as you mentioned, coming through. We had Taylor Preston as the mm-hmm. orange girl at the BJK Cup, and I was really, really impressed with her. Um, same with Charlotte Kempenars. I've had quite a lot to do with, with her over time. And, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how bo- both those players transition into into pro tennis moving forward. Uh, Talia Gibson, she's had a phenomenal year gone from pretty much no ranking to the 300s. Olivia Gadecki will find herself, you know, back towards sort of 200. She's had some a couple of injuries, a wrist injuries of, of late. Yeah, stopped her ranking progression a, a little bit there. So, yeah, I think we've got some, some good talent coming through. I also think it would be great if, um, you know, to see some of those players that quite haven't got themselves in, inside the top 100, uh, Prehon, Maddie Inglis, Lizette Cabrera, like all those players are, are still only, you know, 24 years of age uh, and and certainly are, are capable of getting themselves inside there. So we're a little lean at the moment inside the top 100. We've only got Isla and, and Dasha who had a phenomenal year, gone, you know, went from 650 in the world to 50 in the world in seven months and then unfortunately just did her ACL. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt, you know, Dasha will be back there. So I think it's really important that these young players continue to have role models who are achieving that success at the highest level. Uh, Isla, again, is poised for, for a great year. So, yeah, I, I think the more we have inside the top, the top 100, the better, and it's great when they come along in waves, just not one or two here or there. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, come the start of 2023. What's the, the hardest adjustment do you, do you find? I said a lot of those players have shown quite a bit on a number of occasions. What do you feel is the, the the key ingredient to take that next step to go from being the 150th ranked player in the world to being the 70th ranked player in the world, hypothetically? What I see a, a lot happen is, you know, juniors is one thing and doing well at, at the higher junior level. But when you get to pros, it's different. It's a, It's another jump. And I think making sure that you have enough experiences, enough time out there and not have sort of a false sense of where you're at. Like I think a lot of people win in juniors and just expect, oh, I'm going to keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. And and that's not necessarily the case. But I think the key is really belief. I, I In a way, I feel our Australian players don't believe enough uh, within themselves and the ability that they have to, to really go out there and, and take on the rest of the world. An important ingredient that comes along with success is, which I'll – I talk about all the time with with players is just just consistency. It, it's it's the work that gets done day in day out that will lead to success. You know, it, it's not a tap that you can turn on and off and go. I feel like it today, or I don't feel like it today, or oh yeah, I'll just turn it up a notch when I need to. It doesn't work like that. So you know, our Australian players need to be consistent. We are challenged by travel. It's not as easy uh, for our players to have their support teams around them all the time. Uh, it's stressful. It's uh, it's costly. And, you know, just interestingly enough, I spent some time in Europe this year and I, I went to Italy and I was speaking to the coaches there at the training base that they have in Terenia and it's, the, it's actually the men's uh, training base. And, you know, and I asked them the question, I said, you know what, does it make a difference that you have so many tournaments in your country and the fact that if you can lose it in it, like let's say on a Tuesday, you can back be back in your training base on Wednesday. 
to keep that consistency of priorities that you're working on, um, learn from the loss, let's say, and then what you need to do to make sure you're in a better spot the next week or the week after. And, yeah, their answer was absolutely. So, you know, that's where in Australia I feel like we're a little bit challenged and that's why, too, I think it takes a little bit longer um, for our players to to kind of come through because, yeah, there, there's a lot of travel involved and pressure. Absolutely. I'll finish with a couple of rapid fires where we just sort of throw questions out and the, the first thing that comes into your mind, you might obviously have some inside word on on some of these, but but first of all, uh, Sam Stozer, does the general public appreciate her legacy enough based on what she's been able to do, winning uh, doubles titles in three different decades. She's won every major. Uh, she's won mixed doubles and singles, top five in the world. Is she underappreciated? I don't think she gets enough recognition. She's a champion. Ash Barty, will she ever play again? Uh, well, based on everything she said, unlikely. Players most likely to reach, uh, it's probably a hard one because you're coaching all of them, but is there a player that you think is our next top 20 on the women's side? A healthy dasher can get can get to to top 20 and broadly on the women's game Igish Fiontek does she dominate for years to come and if she doesn't who's the player that can actually climb to that level and stay with her I think she may dominate for the next couple of years but there's always players coming and there's always players evolving Coco Goff if she if she can fix her forehand <laughs> Thank you very much, Nicole. Appreciate that. It's been great to uh, to, to get some insights on it. And I know you've only just returned from overseas in the last couple of days. So I appreciate you jumping on and having a chat with us. And hopefully we can speak again soon. No problem. Happy to share some time. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, in it to win it.